To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a new Eastman's Elevated podcast for you. So today I sit down with my good buddy, Coulter Fosdick. Um, Coulter's been on the podcast before, and he swings by the house, and we start chatting about coos deer. Um, we've been down three seasons. This year will be our fourth season, and we head down to that Arizona desert, find some sunshine and some warm down there, and go chase these elusive gray ghosts, these coos deer with our bows down there. So we talk about what we've learned, break down units, how we camp down there. I mean, basically start to finish from from finding coos deer and choosing the right spots to stalking coos deer. It, it's just a, a great episode. We're both fired up as we're leaving on the hunt here pretty quick and, and uh, just makes for a really fun episode. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Sportsman's Warehouse. Um, just a great company. They they just staff the right employees that are passionate about the outdoors and the right departments to help you find what you need. Um, they carry all the top brands in there, and, and you can go in and you can actually touch and feel the fabric. You can try it on, uh, try on packs, just make sure the fit's going to be right, and it's just a huge asset when you're picking out gear. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse is also running a sale right now on their ammo. So they're anywhere from 10 to 20% off ammo till the 20th of December. So if you're close to a Sportsman's Warehouse, uh, make sure to check out that deal. You won't find ammo any cheaper. Um, just a great company. Thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Um, with the Eastman's uh, headed over there in the next day or so, I'm going to leave tomorrow after work. So it's uh, snowing now. Hopefully it doesn't get too icy for the for the drive over. But that's just winter traveling, you know. It's a four-hour drive can take eight hours if you catch some icy roads. And you just don't want to travel too fast on that. But hopefully I get clean roads. I'm headed over there no matter what, whatever it takes. But I'm headed over there, going to catch up with the Eastman's, catch up with their hunting seasons. Um, I got some really good podcast plan where I'm going to sit down with those guys and, and uh, record and, and uh, talking you know, elk hunting with Guy and, and talking units and applications and things. And anyways, I got a really good game plan. I've been brainstorming a bunch and, and really going to take advantage of being over there at the office. I can't wait to uh, talk to uh, Dan Picard and Guy Eastman that just got back from, uh, gosh, I mess this up every time, but uh, Chajurkistan, I'm never going to remember it. I'm sure I butchered it, but one of the stands over there, anyways, they went over there and and hunting those Marco Polo uh, Guy was, and then I think they both had Ibex tags, but... Uh, I'm just getting secondhand stories from Ike about uh, elevation sickness and and, uh, said Dan was on death's door and Dan's in great shape. I mean, as good a shape as anybody's built for the mountains, but it can just get anybody. And uh, stories uh, uh, of, I'm not sure if it's Guy or somebody else losing 30 pounds on the hunt. (laughs) I don't think the the food was real great and the high elevation. Well, I don't know that the food wasn't real. I I just need to get over there and get the details is what I need to get. I'm getting all this secondhand information, but I'm super excited to get the whole story about this hunt and this adventure they had over there. So that should be really fun. Um, And with that, I've been talking for long enough. Let's get this thing rolling. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm sitting down with my buddy Coulter Fosdick. Um, 
Coulter, thanks for being on again, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian. It's mm-hmm. good to be back on. Yep. So we're sitting down here at the house, and um, it's December now, and we're starting to think towards our next hunt. Um, me and Coulter have started hunting uh, Arizona for coos deer, and, and uh, Coulter actually lived down there um, quite a few years ago, but uh, we started going down together and kind of learning some units together, and we just kind of started from scratch trying to figure out how to hunt coos deer down there. Yeah. No, it's a great time to escape the, the winter wonderland up here. Oh, know, up it here is. In Montana when it's uh, single digits and cold and windy, and uh, man, what what uh, better way to escape the, the winter than go down to warmer client and climate and get get to chase some deer around oh isn't that the truth it's so fun down there because you're right it's um negative temperatures up here and winds blowing and winter is set in across the west but down there in arizona and you you get down in there and and yeah it usually averages what about 50 to 70 degrees down there yeah i think uh somewhere like 60s in the highs and you know we might get down a freezing if if you know that's worst case scenario so no trouble staying warm down there for sure yeah it's um it's good living down there we always joke that we're uh living like desert rats down there you know but we just kind of camp out and uh well we usually truck camp down there and then day hunt in places and we would backpack into some of these wilderness spots but it just seems like those spots like you hunt them out and they're good for maybe a day, maybe two, and then you you want to change locations. And so we end up uh, camping by our truck, hiking, doing a lot of hiking in the dark to get to where we need to go when we're hunting these things. And, and that's kind of been our MO for going down there is, is being able to be mobile and move our camp. In fact, we don't even set up a tent most of the time when we're, when we're camping. We'll sleep out in the dirt or sleep in the back of the truck. Yeah, uh, underneath the stars and... Um, yeah, it's nice to be mobile and be able to check out new spots. If a spot kind of seems like it fades out, you know, go check out some new canyons and see some new country. And it's always good to gain a a new area every time you go down there too. So you're not hunting the same spot over and over again. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Well, and it's, it's just immersing yourself in that desert landscape down there, which is just totally different from anything that we've ever hunted or anything that I've hunted. And so you go down there and there's all this, this different vegetation that you're not used to, to glassing through or walking through with all this cactus and um, uh, everything wants to, to poke or prick you as you're walking through it, all the, the cactus and stickers and things, but it, it's really beautiful landscape and they're, they're big desert mountains down there too. And you can find coos all the way from the desert floor to the tops of those mountains, but there's kind of a sweet spot where those mountains kind of give way to the foothills and, um, you, it seems like you can glass for miles. A lot of times you sit down to glass and you're over, almost overwhelmed by all the country you can see down there with all the different folds and uh, characteristics of the land down there yeah the vantage points are just killer where you can see miles and miles and tons of different country where you can be on one vantage and be looking at some lower country or you know and peek up and see some you know into the timber some little higher elevations but yeah just super cool country down there well and i i think they you know we found them up in those higher elevations up in that timber up there but for us uh we hunt them all spot and stock when we go down there and so up in that timber isn't very conducive to getting stocks you end up jumping a lot of them and you know sometimes you'll pick them out of openings and and then also on the desert floor like the more open country you can find them in i think the better your chances of killing them but it seems like their their populations you can find them all the way from the bottom to the top 
But even at the bottom, it seems like there's not as many of them down there. And so you don't locate as many when you're looking at that lowland open country, at least a lot of the units that we've hunted. And so we kind of find them in that sweet spot where it's still mountains. There's there's sporadic cover and sporadic openings. And, and it seems to be where the where the majority of the population live in there and like to be, doesn't it? Yeah, no, for sure. There's, uh, You know, we're going down during the rut, so we're seeing, you know, quite a bit of movement you know we're not hunting it in the early season or you know so we've been kind of focusing on a particular type of year and uh you know when we get on these vantage points you know we're able to see deer moving around in the areas that we're looking at and it keeps us busy moving around and stick sticking with them and changing vantage points to try to find more deer and uh yeah i think we've kind of got the sweet spot figured out for sure as far as the elevation that we like and i'm sure there's guys that do really well down lower up higher but we just kind of found something that works for our, our style of hunting yep and and uh yeah so it's the middle of the rut down there that's another good point um those coos are just rutting like crazy you get to see some world-class coos and you you really get this appreciation for them when you get chasing them their instincts are so good they're um so wily uh, they are so tough to glass. They blend in perfectly with their landscape. And so you get this appreciation. And I, I never thought I'd get buck fever with a, a buck that was 100 inches. But once you get down there and you start hunting them and get this appreciation for them, like all of a sudden, you know, you, you're getting buck fever at a 100-inch buck because it's a it's a giant coos. And you, you can see the mass on them and the tine length. And so you get to appreciate them. And it's like a, you, you, you really get into hunting them um, to, to where – you know, a hundred inch deer is a giant down there. And so I, I've really got hooked on it. I love hunting those things. It's one of the, the funnest hunts I do all year long. And I know you're the same way. You oh, love yeah. hunting those things. Yeah, no, I definitely look forward to it. And, you know, seeing the, you know, the hundred inch plus deer, I mean, they, their bodies are, you know, pretty darn small or a hundred inch deer looks like a, a monster. You yeah. Know? It's proportion it, to their size of their body, right? Yeah, you know, I would, you know, I'd say a hundred inch coos is probably equivalent to a, you know, 150 inch plus you know, whitetail, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's an impressive. It gets you, get your heart going and get you excited. And, um, you know, for me, just about, um, any, anything that's got a few points on it's game on for me, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, haven't had the crazy trophy mentality down there. Just love to go down there and chase them around. And, um, I've only shot a, a two point so far, but, you know, I'm just taking it in baby steps and, you know, I get, get one a little bit bigger than that one. I'll be happy. Yes. Well, we've got a lot of quality plays down there and we've, we've paid our dues and learned down there, but yeah, they, it's, um, you know, they're a subspecies of whitetail, but you go down there and you don't think of them as like a small whitetail, like they're their own species of deer. They've evolved for thousands of years down in this desert terrain where they haven't had contact with other whitetails. And so they've evolved to, to thrive in that habitat down there to use their cover and, and use the land features. None of them go to, to ag land. There's no alfalfa fields or anything. They're just all throughout that desert landscape, which makes it really cool. Um, but, but they've evolved to live down there where they, they just look like they belong down there. They're a smaller species of deer that, that, that's a little desert deer that you learn to appreciate and, and, uh, um, you know, and when they, when they go even 70, 80 inches, you start to get pretty excited and, and they're pretty fun to hunt. And so, yeah, I just got into it and, um, I, 
I wouldn't miss that that hunt for for anything. I I look forward to it every year. Now I say that, but I did miss that hunt last year. I drew a late season New Mexico tag, and you went down with another buddy and hunted a lot of those spots and units that we like to hunt down there. You guys had a good hunt down there. Yeah, it was a good hunt. I got some got some stocks in. Got uh, you know got in bow range of some. You know the tough thing is they're they're so small. Sometimes you get into them in that tall yellow grass, and you know they just blend in, or you can just see a head poking out of the grass or and like you said they're just so wily where you know you they're chasing does around or anything like that i mean you got to be on top of your game wind everything yeah those things are switched on aren't they uh their instincts and then um yeah they're so tough to keep track of and and uh it's a high degree of difficulty it's no easy thing to go down there and and uh, kill a coos deer with your bow you know it's one of those deals where you got to pay your dues it's the ultimate challenge but it makes you better makes you better at glassing better at stalking you know you you hone your skills and and then you look forward to it every year it's fun you get to make plays you you get to 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 test your skills on those things and and uh, try to move in and get in bow range so yeah it's 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 become a, a heck of a lot of fun to, to go down there and do that. And so I know we're going to try to make it happen again this year and head down there here in about a month or so. Yeah. Hoping it, um, I'll be uh, starting a new job here. So I'm hoping that the new boss will give me the, the green light to go. I'm sure it's all going to work out. So I'm, I'm, I'm planning on it. Yep. No, it, it'll be fun to get down there. And so the way we've kind of gone about it, we've hunted um, a few different units down there. And you hunted units when you used to live back there as well, like in your, was it your early 20s or yeah. teens when you were just kind of getting into bow hunting? You hunted some of those spots around Phoenix farther north, and you saw good numbers up there. Yeah, mainly I'd say more of the central part of the state. Um, yeah, when I was young adult. But, yeah, where we've been going is – you know, more of my prefer- preferred type of terrain than where I was hunting before, you know, down in that, that, uh, Southern, those Southern units we've been going to. Yeah. And the, the units right on the border, we've hunted those and they're, you know, there are good deer numbers down there and good deer hunting down there. But, um, as we get down there, like you have to start to worry about where you park and leave your truck. And there's, there's a higher crime rate down there. You don't know what you're going to see for illegal activity. And then also you see a lot of border patrol, which those guys aren't bad. They're just driving around and setting up here and there. But you, you also see a lot of trash that they leave behind crossing the border. And, you know, I, um, it, it just takes away from the experience. The country and landscape down there is so beautiful, that desert habitat and seeing those coos in it, that it just kind of takes away from it a little bit. And you try to pick up what you can and what you find. Um, but just having that extra concern of camping at night and having somebody roll into your camp and, you know, uh, sticking you up at, at gunpoint or something. Or or you come back to your truck that you left for the entire day and it's sitting on blocks or something. And so for us, we've hunted a lot of those units that are right on the border, but we're just not getting that quality experience. That I'd rather go a little bit farther north and, and have the same deer numbers up there, but a better experience. Don't you feel that same way? Yeah. You know, we haven't had our own, you know, personal issues down there with anybody messing with us or anything but it just seems like it's you know hard to get out of your mind you know i've been rolling around with my bear protection on the side of my hip in case i roll into some trouble or something like that but uh you know it's just um something to be you know to think about and you know we've seen uh immigrants that have you know just crossed the border and you know they're five six miles in and they have given up and they're sitting there on the side of the road waiting for somebody to pick them up and we've seen the guys cruising through country with big backpacks on and drinking out of 
water holes down in the canyons and, uh, you know, moving, you know, miles within, you know, half an hour, just these guys just cruising through country. They know how to move through country too. The way they move through those drainages and over saddles, they know how not to get picked up by the border patrol. And those three guys we saw, they were young kids, full backpacks, carrying their water bottles. Like it, it wasn't oranges. They were sneaking in those backpacks, you know, I'm sure it was something illegal there. And they just look different than guy than the people that are trying to, to, to migrate across the border to make a better life for themselves. They're almost trying to make money, but they don't have to abide by our rules or our, our laws. They're back down into Mexico. And so, yeah, you worry about those guys doing something to you. And, and we've been cautious down there and careful down there um, with where we camp, you know, too. We haven't, we haven't slept down on that border. You know, we always try to drive back up or go day hunt it just because we are cautious of getting our truck broken into or at night. And so, I think it just takes away from the experience. And those three guys that we saw, they were quite a ways away from the border, 30, 40 miles, I'd say, maybe 30 miles, huh, from the border? Yeah, probably. So those border units, you just got to be aware of that and be aware of the danger. But, I mean, for us, I like to go farther north. I think there's just as good a deer numbers, just as good a quality. And, And the cool thing about this hunt is that, you know, you get this general season tag. The tag's actually good for mule deer or coos deer. So the farther north you go, the better chances you have to run into mule deer. But you get to hunt all the best coos units, and you get to hunt them right in smack dab in the middle of the rut. So you've got all this working in your favor down there. And so you get to go to these units that are sought after for rifle guys that put in for for years and years to draw a rifle tag in there. And we get to go in there every year with our bow and arrow and go chase these world-class coos. It's a pretty cool opportunity. Yeah, that's probably why we bow hunt. So they get these awesome opportunities that other guys wait, you know, five to seven years to get. You know, you're able to capitalize on on the prime season. Get after it. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And and we've seen some big ones down there and had some chances at some big ones. But it's just... It's a fun vacation and a fun hunt. You're engaged in that hunt the whole time. And and usually how we go about it is we find a unit that we like or a unit that we pick out. Um, you know, and you got to find the unit that, that kind of suits your hunting style and, and where you're finding numbers at. And But we find a unit we like or a mountain range we like, and then we start picking drainages, you know, where there's access points. And we'll pick one drainage. And we usually don't hunt a drainage for more than a day, maybe two. It just seems like the good hunting runs out or you get them spooked around or chased around or they're moving through. And and we try to see like somewhere in between 10 to 20 coups a day would be uh, an average day for us, a few different bucks. And hopefully you find a shooter. Our goal is to always get a stock a day, but it usually ends up to be more like a stock every other day is usually what we find. But we find a drainage. We start hunting it. If we see coups, we keep hunting it. And then we just kind of work our way down that range. And then, you know, after that one runs out, we go to the next drainage and we start kind of dissecting that. And we're looking for these master vantage points that show us this, this huge, you know, this, this huge drainage of country where you can kind of glass through the folds. And so we find these different points within these large drainages where we can kind of dissect it and glass it all and figure out where the deer numbers are. But that's kind of been our MO is just to, to keep moving, keep learning new drainages as we go and keep, keep into coos deer that's what we're trying to do when we're down there right yeah yeah and then you know you think uh, a desert place being dry we've ran into lots of rain down there too or we've had uh, you know rain uh, get in the way of some of our hunting time or we've you know spent some time uh, 
stuck in the tents and you know full downpours of rain but uh but yeah no it's cool the it's a cool style of hunting the way we've been hitting it you know drainage hopping and uh rotating the drainages you know hit drainage a b c and back to a you know three or four days down the road and go in there fresh and see new deer and we never i don't think we've ever seen the same buck twice you know we're always seeing new bucks (laughs) Yeah, they're, is cool. they're moving so much. Like hunting that rut is the blessing and the curse, right? It's the blessing because it gets those bucks, you know, leaving their hides and those holes that they live in to go breed does. And so they're, they're moving through country a lot. And so you're able to pick them up and see them. It's the curse because those things never stop moving. You could right. watch a buck and watch them go three, four miles and then go over the top and go out of sight and be gone. And so that's a lot of our challenge is, is trying to get one in a good spot um, or, or to get them to stand still where you can catch up to them. So, you know, hunting the rut is the blessing and the curse, you know. Yeah, and it's definitely nice to have two guys. So, I mean, you go after a, a coos buck that's cruising a mile away, and, you know, by the time you get even close to where he was, I mean, he's going to be, you know, hundreds of yards, if not further away from where you saw him. So it's nice to have, have another set of eyes to help keep track of him down there. Absolutely. Another set of eyes. And, you know, and two, when one guy leaves for a stock, you know, more times than not, the guy that sits on the vantage point, you pick out a different buck or uh, all of a sudden you find more deer and, and all of a sudden that guy's going on a stock, you know. And so it, it's all about those vantage points and glassing and, um, you know, they they are the ultimate animal to, to be able to pick out and glass. It ta- It's the highest degree of difficulty that I've ever seen to be able to glass those things up. So we, we always tripod up our binos. Um, that way your binos are held absolutely still and just you, you get a way to kind of pan through the mountains. Try not to get overwhelmed with how much you can see and just start picking it apart and swinging through country and then you start to memorize all the meadows and how you kind of glass through them and you just go through it and then go through it again and then through it again and you just kind of keep glassing it. I mean... I don't, I don't know if you ever see all the deer there, but you get a pretty good feeling within 40 minutes or an hour of what you're going to see. But a lot of times we'll pick out deer two hours after sitting on a vantage point. It's all about getting to those best places and just dissecting that land. Yeah. No, it seems like uh, after some time goes by, they some of them wake up and move around a little bit. But yeah, and there's just so many folds that you can sit there for a while on glass and an hour might go by and one rolls over a ridge and he's in, he's in your territory. Yeah. They're always moving and always readjusting. It, it seems like the, they're, they're always, those bucks are just traveling country that time of year or they're with a hot doe, um, but, but you really pick up on them when they're moving. And, and uh, best case scenario, you bet a buck and you know he's going to be there and you can sneak up on him, but that doesn't always happen during the rut. Yeah, and those things just don't relax when they're bedded either. They're sleeping with both eyes open they don't even know if they actually sleep at all those things are just uh they're uh bedded up just waiting for something to get them I yep. mean, they're all they're on pins and needles all the time it seems like <laughs> they are on pins and needles all the time and so how how we go about stalking them a lot of times is um it just depends on the scenario like every scenario with a coos deer is different and um, you're, you're just trying to you're just trying to get to them. You're just trying to get in range of one. And so you sit on the vantage point and you see a buck, and and I think we both just look at it and go, you know, okay, can I make it to him? Is there a, do I do I need to go for him now and try to cut him off or try to make a play where he's at, or is he moving? Can I cut him off? 
or do I need to just sit here and watch him and wait for him to get to a spot and, and maybe bed down or slow up or hang out in a spot? And, or sometimes you're trying to move to a vantage point where then you can you can keep eyes on them. Like they're, they're going over the top of a mountain and you go, okay, well, I got to get to the top of that mountain and then try to relocate them. But it just seems like every scenario is different and, and you're just trying to use your instincts and your experience with those coos deer to try to get a play. And any chance you get to, to try to get into bow range of them, you take. Um, but, but then sometimes the right move is to sit back and watch and, and wait and see where they go and see if they bed down or, um, so it just seems like every scenario is different on those things. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, I don't know, I guess my, uh, best scenario is a, a buck and toe of a doe, you know, there's, you know, one buck and one doe. Usually they're not cruising in a big herd like mule deer where there's, you know, eight to 10 does and one buck, you know on one hot doe so it's nice to get after that buck that's in tow of a doe she's got her head down feeding for the most part of course she's cautious and looking around but that buck's usually got one one minded focus going on he's you know he's looking to breed and you know he's still wily and all but you know that rut takes over and their their mind goes to another place so you know finding that that buck following that doe and you know stick with them and wait for a you know a a little opportunity to happen uh, you know i think's ideal well and and you're right those those does um they they seem to be they're not traveling the country like the bucks are like they almost have a spot that they like i mean sometimes you can catch them traveling through country but a lot of times they have like a feature or a patch of timber or a a little basin or drainage that they really like to hang in. And so when you find a buck that's hot after a doe, he's usually going to stay in that little area with that doe. And so you can be a little bit more patient and, and uh, methodical with your stock and, and plan it a little bit better and, and sit and watch that deer a little bit more than you can when you just catch a, a lone buck cruising country. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, and up against those cruisers, those ones that are cruising, looking for does. And like you said, you have to make it, make a decision, you know, either to go for it, to try to cut them off in country or just to keep tabs on them and see where he goes. You know, a lot of time they'll drop down and get into some pretty thick stuff where it's almost impossible to keep tabs on them yep. sometimes. Yep. Or go over the top of where you can see them. And then all of a sudden they're, they're gone and have disappeared. Um, but yeah, you just got to play every, every scenario is different with those things. I, I like to bet them too. If you can get them to bed and see where they bed, boy, you got a good play, but those deer like cover and they're so small that they can just disappear. They can go into a a stand of timber or a little patch of timber and and all of a sudden they're just gone. You don't know where they are. And sometimes you think they stay in that patch of timber because you never saw them go out, but they're called the gray ghost for a reason. They blend in so good that, you know, even when you have your binos on them and you haven't take your binos off that spot and you think they're right there, you go down in there and they're moved off. They're miles away at that point. They're just so tough to keep track of. Yeah, you know they're they're the probably one of the better animals at blending into their surroundings. You know we've been sitting there on the vantage point several times, and oh, I got a deer. Um, you see, he's right. Hold on, I can't hold on. I lost him. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, sometimes as soon as you find them, you lose them, and you know, uh, and uh, it's just crazy. They'll be standing right there where you thought they were, and you can't see them because they're you know when they stop moving, man, those things just blend in so good. They blend in perfectly with their habitat. That gray color is 
it's just the color of the gray bushes down there or the the rocks or the landscape but yeah they stop moving and they totally disappear and yeah i don't know how many times we've we've lost them you know when you're trying to keep track of them um or like trying to show your buddy them because uh, two eyes on them is better than one eyes on them and and you're trying to to field judge them and and uh, keep track of them and so okay i got a buck and and i'm trying to tell you where where it's at or vice versa and then just by taking my eyes out of those binos i've lost that deer and sometimes you never find them again a lot of times you pick them up again um but but even keeping track of them and keeping a constant eye they'll disappear behind a tree you won't take your eyes off that tree and then all of a sudden you'll spot that thing you know 50 yards away or 100 yards away and go how in the heck did he cross that i never saw him come out of there yeah but yeah they are tough to keep your eyes on yeah i'll look back at some of my uh like scope pictures i've taken through my binoculars for spotting scope you know on the computer and sometimes it takes me a, a few minutes to find out where the deer is in the photo I took you know I'm like I know I took a picture of something you know I'll sit there and zoom in and look around and finally find you know a strip of white there you know on his face or something like that but yeah those things are they're absolute uh, top-notch you know animal to try to glass or um, about as tough as it gets Yes. Well, it, it sure makes you better at glassing too. You know, once you get used to picking up those coos deer, mule deer, are nothing. Elk are nothing. Elk, they stand out like a sore thumb, but it really improves your glassing skill. And, and especially sitting down on those overwhelming vantage points where you can see so much country and you've got to begin to dissect it and pick it apart and look through it and, and memorize it and then go back through it and back through it. But you just live and die behind your glass down there and, and picking out those coos deer they are so tough to pick out and yeah you you can catch movement or see a piece of them but you get pretty good at picking them out so i think it's it really improves your glassing um your glassing skill as a hunter to go down there and hunt those things you you just get better at at picking animals out yeah yeah if you're not a guy that uses a tripod uh you know and you want to go down there and try it out i'd recommend a tripod 100 percent. you know ever since i started using a tripod it's been dang near impossible for me to glass without one. I just don't ever feel like I'm glassing efficiently without one, but I don't know how a guy can go down there and walk around handheld his binoculars and hope to find the deer that you're going to if you sit down and take the time from a vantage off a tripod. Oh my gosh, right? And we... We take, so we sit on a lot of vantage points is the way we hunt. We get there at the right times and then we'll change vantage points throughout the day and kind of work ridgelines and things. But it is really tough to hunt those coos deer on the move. Like sometimes you can see them first or pick them out from a ridgeline and you need to be glassing constantly as you're moving through country and try not to expose yourself on, on ridgelines and things. But those things are tough to kind of walk around and hunt that way. Like you're, you're way better off sitting on those master vantage points just looking like where can I see the best and hiking to those points and then and then glassing but you're right i mean with no experience with those coups and you start hunting them just kind of working ridgelines things you're going to end up blowing out so many deer and spooking so many deer you're going to blow up your spot before you ever get a chance to make a stock on those things yeah yeah no we've found that you know moving around we've kind of figured out the the areas that we can move to get vantage point advantage where we're not going to bump into as many deer, mm-hmm. hardly any deer, you know, there's some spots that you just don't even want to walk through because you know you're going to kick them up, you know, they're like rabbits in there, you're just going to, you're going to bump them for sure, so yeah, you got to stick to the routes that you know where you're going to be able to travel to vantage to vantage without walking through their prime habitat. Yes, that's exactly right, and they, 
you know, they'll live in open terrain and cross open terrain, but they really are drawn to that cover. You know, they, they, they really seek it out and like it, like those timber patches and things. And, and then a mat, it's a matter of if you find a timber patch that's producing, it'll usually produce day after day. They like to be in there. And then you got to try to hunt the edges. It's this noisy, dry desert terrain. And even though we found rain, like it's still pretty noisy to, to stalk and sneak in there. But you get in those trees, you're fighting a losing battle. Like you just, you get in there and mess up a couple opportunities and you go, okay, I can't stalk in here. Like I've got to catch them in more open terrain or on the edges or, or moving out the side or otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm just going to blow them out of here every time. We've kind of learned our lesson doing that. Yeah. And then like you're saying, all the all the different type of vegetation that wants to stick and poke you and stuff. Once you get in the bow range, you got these, you know, bushes that are trying to claw onto your clothes as you're trying to move, you know, quietly and you're, you know, 50, 60 yards away from a deer and you pick your leg up and all you hear is, you know, sound, you know, from bushes and stuff scraping across. So yeah, yeah. it sounds like Velcro. So you're, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough all the way around. There's no, no easy way about it. We've, you know, have encountered, it's no easy chore to get one done. Oh man, I know it. Yep. So I've been down there three years and I've harvested that one good buck I've killed. And we've kind of, we've passed a, a lot of spikes and two points and you say that you're just looking for one bigger, but I've seen you pass some pretty decent bucks down there too. And so we're looking for the more mature, uh, uh, representation of the species too like even you know you shot the the two point which was a nice buck but now you're kind of shooting like he's got to be a three on top to shoot him and so we're looking for a 70 80 inch deer to to be able to stalk and i that one i killed was like 97 man that was sure a nice coos that was really cool to pull that off on that deal and we we usually split opportunities or stocks and we had got on the vantage point and we had spotted a couple different bucks this buck and then there was another like um two or small three or something and if it was a two it was a big mainframe two which is a different deer than a forky for us down there you know mainframe two can be a mature buck um remember that one we found north of uh in that canyon that was a big mainframe two that was really heavy with eye guards remember the day before season yeah yeah and we had that thing pretty much in bow range um but the and so the deal is there's some some uh cool things you can do with your tags down there to to make your money go further and so one of the things you can do is you can hunt it in january buy a deer tag and if you don't shoot a deer you can come back in december next december and your tag's still good so you don't got to buy two tags um so your tag's good for the entire year so we had showed up we had bought our tags in january i killed the buck the year before so i didn't have a tag you still had your tag from the year before but you didn't bring it down because we were planning on hunting the beginning of January. We just showed up a day early in December, and then we found that big mainframe heavy too with the eye guards and everything right in bow range, but you didn't have your Arizona tag from the year before. So even though you could have been hunting that last day in December, you know you had a brand new January tag. Remember, yeah. isn't that how that went down? Yeah, I, I, uh, that's painful to think about now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been kind of keeping uh, all my tags in my in my bino pouch, so I've got them all handy. But I must have not been on that on that method yet. But yeah, no, it's uh, uh it's not going to happen this this year. If I get down there on December thirty first, I'm going to have my my tags sitting there waiting for me. But yeah, no, it's it'd be kind of it'd be super cool to go down there and you know to just to know that you have a two buck opportunity. You know, you can kill one that last week of December, and if you're you know still hunting that next week in January, you got a tag. I mean. 
it, it could be done, you know, but, you know, for uh, you tag out, you're done for the season. You know, you tag out January 1st, you're not going to get the hunt that state till January 1st of next year. That's but, right. But, you know, as a traveling hunter going down there, um, you know, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. You know, I oh, just, so just, just want to put my tag on one. Yeah, it's so much fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, you sure get into the hunt down there when you're living down there and hunting. Like you say, it's just such a a, a cool experience too, an ad, adventure bow hunt. And you just you're, you're hunting that that desert, which is unlike any terrain that you've ever hunted, and then the coos deer, which is unlike any deer you've ever hunted. And uh, you also see javelina down there, and there's some good chances for javelina. We haven't picked up a tag and shot one. You've shot one before with your bow down in Arizona, right? Yeah, it was actually my first uh, archery critter was a javelina, and um, yeah, they're fun to hunt. You know, they're uh, probably the the best way to you know to hone your skills, your early skills at archery because they're super stockable. You know, they're blind as a bat. It seems like their senses are are up there. You know, I, you were able to. We had a herd feeding, and you'd got into about 10 feet of some of them where I was actually kind of getting worried you're going to get your shins torn up or something. Those things turn around and get you. But, um, yeah, it'd be cool one year to get a, you know, there seems like there's some leftover tags for the archery season. We haven't been putting in for the draw, but it'd be cool to get a leftover. And um, But we, we've just been so focused on the coos deer that, you know, we've just kind of put those things aside. Yeah, that's it. We're, yeah, we're so focused on the coups and so into the hunt that we don't want to take away from it. But it, it would be a great way to, to add some success to the hunt. And we do see a lot of javelina down there, and they're really fun to see. They're like a like a bowling ball. They're black. They look like a pig, but they're actually a peccary, which are they related to the – are they a rodent? Is that what they are? Yeah, they're like a – I think they're you know more related to a rodent than they are a pig. And okay. I think their closest relatives are like in South America or something. There's some other peccary down there, but okay. yeah, they're the, the collared peccary. Okay. Yep. And and then they weigh, what, about 50 pounds or so or a little yeah, bit less? Yeah, I think that's – I think I'm going to guess 40 to 50 is probably about average. And I think if you can – I think there's some 70-pound boars out there rolling around. Yep. Yeah. Well, and um, that one I got close to, I think it'd be fun to take my recurve down there and try to get one. I'd like to do that. Yeah, that'd um, be super cool. But yeah, that one I got close to, we were just hiking back and it was in the evening and we spotted a herd of them and I told Coulter, I said, well, I'm going to see how close I can get. And uh, I got pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> I, got, I almost got close to where I got nervous too, where it's like, man, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm three yards away from this thing or 10 feet. Like you say, I was like uh, so close I could almost throw my bow and get one, you know, but snuck way up close. And then that, fu- that thing finally saw me. And then all the hackles on the back of its ne- neck stood up. And it was almost like he was deciding whether he wanted uh, fight or flight, you know, but he ended up running the other way. But there was a moment there where I thought, oh, maybe I got myself too close. I'm going to have to try to stab him with an arrow as he tries to attack me. But um, they are made for bow hunting and sneaking up on and, and it's part of the desert experience down there seeing those and then um quadamunday is that what they're called those, yeah yeah quadamunday what are they related to like an ant eater or something you know i'm, I'm not a I, sh- I don't know if i can speak on that or not they're, pre- <laughs> they're pretty crazy i remember seeing them as a as a kid down there in the southern part of the state but yeah i mean uh, they're like a raccoon yeah okay yep like That's the a- size of a raccoon maybe a little bit bigger and they've got long bushy tails, and then they've got that pointy nose, which makes me think of like an anteater. Um, I know I'm not an expert either, so I don't know what they're related to, but they sure are a, a cool critter. And then what are they like? Black and white. They've got like stripes on their tail. Yeah, I think they're like uh, got like a little bit of a brindle red tint to them. Oh, okay, but, right. Yep. It seems like they live in you know like 
groups of t- ten or six. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll see some singles or doubles cruising around, but and they yeah. make make quite a bit of noise too, right? Yeah, you know, a lot of chatter. Yeah, we've seen them make some noise before too. Like I said, we we don't run into them very often. But, no, and uh, I've seen you know on the internet guys uh, shooting them and stuff. I don't really you know want to shoot a raccoon or anything myself, but. Um, so I guess you can hunt them too if you really wanted to. Yeah, they they are fun to see down there, and um, yeah, we haven't ever hunted them or anything, but they, it, it's just part of the experience down there. And like um, the those javelina, the leftover tags, you could have a tag for one of those, and they're not that expensive, like 150 bucks if I remember right. And the years I have looked, there has been leftover tags in the units we hunt down there. Monday are cool, and then people come from all over the world to come down there bird watching that time of year. There is so many birds down there. Um, uh, different birds, you just you just be glassing around and see some, you know, some some red bird. And then they have so many species of quail down there that bird hunters come from miles and miles around to, to shoot the different quail species down there. And so you could actually combo that trip with birds and bring your shotgun or bring your shotgun and your dog. And you could probably bird hunt in the middle of the day and hunt mornings and evenings and have a, a, a pretty good experience down there too. We haven't done that, but we sure jump a lot of birds walking around down there. Yeah, no, we do. Yeah, they got the, the Merns quail which are which are kind of a cool little quail species okay but, um yeah like i said we're just we're just focused on those coos bucks you know oh, there's you all kinds of other cool exciting things to do down there but um coos have got our mind and you know we're down there we're spending hours looking for coos deer yeah they've, to, they've got our attention yeah we're just so focused on hunting those things well they're so much fun to hunt they're they're so challenging and it's like to be successful on one you just have to put all your effort into it and, and even then just catch a little bit of luck but yeah they're they're the ultimate challenge which makes them the ultimate trophy for a bow hunter and you know uh you know i've heard them referred to as mission impossible or you know to try to spot and stock one with a bow is such a high degree of difficulty but that's what makes it so fun down there is you're you're yeah. trying to accomplish that that mission accomplish uh mission impossible on those things yeah no it's uh definitely um up there on the difficulty level for sure i don't i mean like i said i've been down four years or god it seems like it's been more than that but you know i've only been lucky enough to stick a one i've been in you know bow range of multiples and you know i've have seen some really good deer and had some good stocks just uh you know every year i keep telling myself this is gonna be the year and you know i'm gonna gonna get one but it's gonna happen you know just uh lots of getting yourself out there and you know um getting an opportunity and getting in there and getting some stocks in um you know i'll get to send one and get one here eventually well and we've paid our dues over there we've we've learned different units we've got different units we hunt down there we know multiple drainages we know places that are gonna produce now we know what good coos country looks like and so yeah we've been paying our dues for the last three four years down there learning it and yeah we've been able to harvest a couple but i you know i i just think we're right on the edge uh, of being dialed in on that place where we bring two coos out every year and and the last time we were down there um neither one of us killed a buck but we lost so many days to the weather like you say it's the desert and it's usually good temperature and not much rain usually it's pretty nice but that that last year we were down there together which now has been um a couple years ago um we lost so many days due to rain and it's the rain coos you 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 hunt them by being able to glass them and spot them and so you can't really still hunt around in the rain if you can't see you you can't really hunt you can go you know walk some ridge lines and get wet and maybe bounce into one is what we tried to do but you just lose so so many days and and you're 
you're so so much less effective hunting them when you can't see and so that last trip yeah we got cut short on our days and got cut short by the rain but oh, man i think we're right on the right on the edge of being successful on a couple of those things every single year we've paid our dues and learned the species so i'm excited to go down this year and, and go get it done on a couple of those nice bucks down there yeah not to mention they're you know they're probably amongst the tastiest of game animals too i mean i have some of the best memories from eating my my little buck i mean it was just absolutely delicious mine too yeah so yeah you don't get a ton of meat i remember when i brought my meat back here to montana and uh yeah i actually took mine to you know the the butcher shop here in town and uh, they looked at you know the amount of meat i brought and kind of like this is a deer you know, <laughs> you know it's just a not a lot of meat on those things compared to a mule deer or an elk but uh man are they tasty yeah well and, um even an antelope they're smaller than an antelope less meat than an antelope i know yeah i, I butchered my own and um i mean i think you you get maybe 20 packages of meat if you're lucky you know you don't get much but it is a really good meat and um, um the the taste of it's so good and the, the uh it, it's um it, it seems like it's really tender too. Even the older, more mature buck that I killed was tender, good flavor. So yeah, no, they are great eating. How are those um, javelina to eat? Um, you know, I don't have bad memory. You know, I haven't eaten a lot. You know, I, yep. we ate that one that I shot, and uh, you know, I had a lot of it processed into like chorizo and breakfast sausage and Italian sausage, that type of stuff. But I remember, uh, you know, getting back to the house there and skinning them up and uh you know throwing the tenderloins on the grill and remember it to be good everybody talks about them being super stinky and stuff too and i i have no memory of mine being stinky but okay um that's kind of the you know the the myth i guess is that they're stinky and well and there's it just seems like so much of the taste of your meat comes down to the it's either the butcher or the cook or you know the the way you cared for that animal in the field and when you take good care of animals and you get them cooled down right and get them processed it you know i hear people talk about how they'll never eat an antelope the antelope is the best meat me and my family get every year and i i've killed a dozen of them or more and i i am yet to get a bad one they are always good you know and and same thing with the coos and then i also hear that on mule deer too is guys don't like um uh, mule deer and uh, people talk about gamey flavor i think when you get gamey flavor you've done something wrong like a uh, uh, wild meat has some of the the best taste you know that wild organic meat i mean me and my family love it and yeah it's a little bit different than a corn fed uh, corn raised beef or something uh, so it does have a little bit different flavor but if you're tasting game or some bad taste or bad smell like something was done wrong if you take good care of your meat they always seem to turn out good for me yeah i think the, the biggest thing i think guys do wrong is uh letting them get wet you know just putting them in the coolers with water and letting them stay wet you know i think the key is to get them up in the air and get them dried off so the meat can cure and you know gets that little film on the outside and helps protect it yep and you definitely like it's a fine balance like you're right uh moisture speeds up the 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 breakdown of the meat and the you know where bacteria can grow on it and so water and and dampness and wet isn't good for your meat 
but also you can't let that meat get too warm either and so it's a balance when you're hunting a lot of warm weather hunts i think to getting it on ice in the cooler but then at night when it cools down is hanging that up letting the air get around it letting it dry and, and you're right the the best case scenario is to have good temperature where you can hang it get that dry skin on the outside which protects that meat from any bacteria and then that that meat can age and cure and i don't age my meat a long time i usually butcher fairly quick but getting that dry skin on them is so important but but also like i say it's a fine line you have to manage the the heat of that meat and the the more game bags and like for coos you don't got to worry about putting them in multiple game bags but like for elk and and caribou and and bigger size animal even mule deer for that matter is it's get them in multiple bags where you can get air around them get them in the cooler and then i don't set them right in the ice or in the water um you know, I like to set them up like on two buys, two by fours that I'll set in the cooler where the ice and water is at the bottom and the meat's elevated there. It'll still get a little, a little moist from condensation in there and just the moisture in the cooler, but you keep them cold. And then at night, I like to get them out and hang them and get that dry skin around them. And then in the day back in the cooler. So it is kind of a a management between moisture and a management between, um, you you know, temperature, but yeah, I mean, when done right, they sure eat good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I think the getting them in the cooler and up in the tree and rotating back and forth if necessary is the the best route for sure yeah and even being wet isn't the the worst thing in the world like i know with the hawaii guys they have so many flies over there and it's so warm and so humid they can't hang their meat at all yeah you know i mean game bags will protect it from flies yes um but the the temperature is such to where you can't age your meat there in hawaii and those guys kill a bunch of deer over there and pigs and um, but so they have to cooler all their meat. And so they cooler, cooler it and they'll set it right in the ice and in the, even in the icy water, get it cooled down, but they butcher it within two, three days. And I think it, you can get it wet in that cooler, but it, then it's got to be butchered right away. You're, you're definitely on borrowed time. If that meat is, is getting wet to where if you're hanging it and getting that dry skin, you know, you can get way more life out of it and can age it a little bit more. But I know those Hawaii guys do good. And, uh, you know, that, that act. Texas deer, some of that stuff got wet in coolers because we killed so many of them over there. You know, it's such population control there. So I think I killed three does and a buck. And then uh, Robin, he killed a buck and a doe or a buck and a couple does. And Janus killed a doe and a buck. And so we had all these coos deer that were all, or uh, excuse me, all these axis deer that were all in the coolers on ice, but we just didn't have a lot of room to get them elevated out. And then it didn't get cold enough to be able to hang them and get them dried out. So we just kept them in the coolers, got them home, butchered them and processed them. And the the meat was great with those. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, just all different tactics for the environment you're around and the the temperatures. But yeah, it's definitely something you have to be really proactive with. Always keeping an eye on the temperature of your meat, always keeping an eye on the the moisture content of your meat, and especially when we're down there in Arizona, like um, we're down there for ten days. So if you kill a a coos buck on the first or second day, you know you got to cooler it and get it out at night and get that dry skin around it because you've got to have that meat last until you get home until you can get it processed. But um, well, we've always had really good luck with our animals taking care of them it's just a matter of i guess learning the right thing to do and then um, being proactive and and uh, making sure that you're you're always doing the right thing and monitoring that meat and making sure that it's that it's uh, in good shape yeah yep yep so it should be fun this year it's a heck of a drive down there 
Um, I think it takes us here from Montana 24 hours with good roads to get down there. And uh, you've, you've been making the trip quite a quite a few times here lately down to Arizona. you got uh, family down there. And then you're relocating. You're going to be in uh, Portland area here for a while. Yeah, I am uh, kind of had some life changes this year and uh, was uh, out looking for a new job. And I'm um, going to go back to work for a company I worked at before. And uh, they're moving me to Oregon. I actually have never been to Oregon before, but I'm looking forward to to new adventures and new animals to chase around. So it'll be fun. Um, oh, it will be fun. Yep. Uh, well, and you just got to enjoy whatever's around you or wherever you're located. And whether that's in Montana or whether that's uh, Arizona or, you know, like in your case, being in Portland, um, you're going to like it out there. You're going to be close to the coast there. Some great coastal fishing out there. Blacktails. Uh, there's a lot of logged off country in there where you're going to be hunting blacktails and things. And also those the, the cascades that I think stretch from Washington down there through Oregon, that, that mountain range in the central part of the state. Uh, they've got mule deer on the east side, but they've got some of those alpine basins that you can go backpack into. So I think you'll enjoy it. I mean, wherever you're at, you're always doing fun stuff. But, yeah, it'll be kind of different to be located in, in Portland on the coast there and, and uh, learning some new new species there and new adventures. Yeah, no, I've, I've uh, moved around a lot in my lifetime here, and living here in Montana is probably the most – time I've spent, you know, in one place in my adult life. And, uh, you know, if I could stay here forever, I, I would, but you know, things, things change and, um, got to keep moving forward. So that's where, that's where my forward direction's heading now, but yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be able to escape. I'm pretty dang sure I will be able to, you know, we can meet up somewhere and drive down together or we'll figure it out. But, uh, you know, we've talked before going down there when we have came home empty-handed that the, you know, the cost of admission was just well worth it no matter what. You know, you're, I think we're 300 bucks into the tag and 160 into the license, and I mean, it's all worth 10 days to go chase deer around. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's exactly right. It's been like you say, 450 into your tags and licensing. You know, a couple hundred bucks into gas, maybe, and a hundred bucks worth of food, and then you're just living in the desert like a, yeah. like a desert rat. But yeah, for seven, eight hundred bucks to have that kind of adventure in January, go get in some warmer temperatures, and it's it's just fun to just uh, you know, like you say, it's worth the price of admission to to pay that much money to go down there and have the chance at a coos. And so yeah, we always drive back, and we always have stocks and close encounters and sightings and we always have an enjoyable time down there so whether we fill out or not uh it, it's always a hunt we want to go do because we have fun doing it yeah and what else can you i mean i'm sure there's some other stuff to chase around in january but i mean it's top on the list for me for january oh yeah well we've got into it where we're dang near uh coos fanatics at this point like uh i know we look at uh, we've run across a picture in a magazine or a picture on social media of a coos deer we're paying pretty close attention and field judging that thing and talking about it and thinking about it the entire year and so yeah i mean you you know we went down there for the the one year to hunt them but then you get hooked on it and then it's just like an every year deal for you where you know that's your adventure in january and like you say you know i'm sure there's some other opportunities but where else can you get an over-the-counter tag it's 60 degrees uh you're hunting during the rut like it's it's all in your favor down there it's just so much fun to go experience and and, and, you know, it's one of those deals where you're probably going to have to pay your dues and, you know, maybe you get one the first year you're down there and you find a good spot or maybe it takes you a couple of years, but it's all worth it. It's all fun down there. Yeah, and it's, it's cool to be able to jump units, you know, to 
check out different units and not be stuck in one spot that you have to hunt. You know, be able to a multiple unit type tag. Yeah, yeah. Be able to jump around and figure out where you want to be and where the hunting is the best and um, move drainages. And yeah, you get to look at so much different country and habitat. Yeah, no, I, I've really enjoyed it down there. And um, it, it seems like those units just a little bit north seem to hold really good deer numbers and just that great desert experience. And so, um, so many different places to go down there and you know and just start looking at the top rifle units and then end up down in those ones oh my dog's tangled in your cord <laughs> i've got this new puppy in the house and we're recording a podcast and he thinks he's involved in the conversation come here gunny um but but yeah i we're gonna have a good time down there this year and uh you know hopefully you're able to get away with your new job and that and i know you've already mentioned it to him and so it should work out but um yeah. should be fun yeah i'm excited so get control of my dog is trying to climb up on culture. He thinks he's part of the podcast. Don't you puppy? Yep. Um, but yeah, thanks for being on again, Coulter. Um, always fun. You've been my coos deer hunting buddy for years now. And yeah. so like you say, we just, um, tell that boss, you've got to get that time off. It's, um, it's a, it's an emergency or it's a, yeah. <laughs> you got to come up with something, but I, I know you're starting a new job and a new gig and back to work for a company that you've worked for before. And so that, that definitely takes priority, but I sure hope you're able to make it this year and get yeah. down there and hunt those things and get your big goose buck. Yeah, I think it's going to work. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to want one pretty bad, you know, when I get down there, I, uh, you know, I, I was able to shoot a deer in August and, you know, didn't get a lot of hunting between August and now. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's time for me to get back out there and, you know, go chase them. Yeah, no, you've had some, some big changes. It's been a, a wild year for you for sure. And, um, everything's starting to come together and it'll all work out. It always does. But yeah, you had a great experience there in August. We talked about that hunt before you left and you went to Nevada and killed a nice high country buck there. Uh, that was a pretty cool deal. Yeah, no, a ton of fun. Went into a you know, range that I was slightly familiar with from hunting a couple of years before and, you know, some, some basins I was familiar with and packed in there, um, solo and, um, got to look at some bucks and, you know, had one present a great opportunity and just couldn't pass it, you know? Yeah. So that's, it was, that's a killer range, isn't it? So we hunted it together a couple of years ago and then I think I learned it the year before, and uh, kind of figured out some drainages in there that produce pretty good and don't have much pressure. And so, yeah, you camped in that same spot where we had camped in there and hunted a lot of those drainages and, yeah, able to get a good arrow and a good buck. But, yeah, good on you, solo trip, and to be able to be successful. Um, and, and in those mountains, hunting those mule deer in that high country, it's it, it's just such a killer experience, you know. And it pushes you to your limits. Even getting into that spot is rough. Oh, yeah. Like, you've got to do that climb to get in there and – and uh, when I originally found it, I'd come from a different location and traveled 20-some miles to find this spot. But we found a little shortcut when we hunted it. Um, but it's not much of a shortcut. you got to go straight up the mountain, off trail, up over the top. And then we've got a good spot that we figured out to camp down there. And a few different drainages that hold some good mature bucks. And you were able to get a good arrow in that buck, make a quality stock like uh, second day in there. Yeah, second day. Yeah. That was, that was a plan for about five days or so to you know, it's about as much as I was going to be able to fit into it. But yeah, second day in, um, you know, first day I was seeing some good bucks around and second day saw some other good ones. And, you know, this, this buck, uh, you know, happened to start, uh, kind of wandering in my direction and I was able to put a location on his bed and I mean, just the, the rock formations and the wind and everything was just so perfect for me to, to drop down there and get in the bow range and, uh, you know, just take my time and it worked out great. Put perfect shot on him. He didn't go far. 
yeah, I didn't go far. You know, first shot, uh, man, the both of the deer I've shot down there have been on a, you know, on a high, uh, high incline. And, um, you know, I've practiced shooting inclines and have a, a range finder that, get, you know, compensates uh, angle and all that good stuff. And, you know, when you get inside of 20 yards and shooting on your 20-yard pin, you know, you, I end up shooting a little high still. But, yeah, I think I kind of pinned them high, you know, just drilled them right to the ground and, he, he was able to stand up and kind of fell off a cliff and he was down there on the below, below the cliff and I was able to put a second finishing shot into him. But, uh, yeah, then I, uh, quartered him up and, uh, game bagged up the boneless quarters and, and all the other meat got hung up in a tree down there and went back to camp and, uh, emptied my pack and got a good night's rest and went back the next day with an empty pack and trekking poles and, you know, loaded that, that buck up and got it back to my camp and, got back to camp and, you know, thought about if I was going to try to get out that day or the next day, you know, what my best scenario was, you know, always playing the storms as far as getting up over the high ridges and stuff and, um, had enough time and didn't look like the storms were going to get in my way. So I just went ahead and went for it and, uh, got, got out of there. So, you know, I was able to get the hunt done early and didn't, you know, wasn't beating my body up for days. So I was pretty fresh coming out, you know, it felt it was, you know, felt a whole lot better than I did last time coming out. Yeah, for sure. I was wondering how you got him out of there. Yeah, so um, brought him back to camp, and then you climbed up and over the top and down. How'd you go down that spot, like back to the truck down there where you parked? Did you take the the middle of the drainage like we went down last time? Yeah, I kind of took the That's same. That's kind of gnarly down Same there. path. Yeah, I, th- I wouldn't ever try it without trekking poles. Okay. I mean, the trekking poles let me, you know, feel where my, my feet are going to go and, um, you know, when you got a bunch of weight on your back, I mean, you don't want to be slipping up in that stuff. But yeah, looking looking up at it from down, I mean, you, after you come down through it, you're like, you know, how did I get through that thing, or how did I come down it? You know, it looks super gnarly and steep, like you need ropes or something. But I even remember coming down through it, like last time we were packing our camp and your buck down through it. Like it's pretty gnarly to come down through, but you picked your way down through it pretty easily. Yeah, huh? just picked my way down through it, the trekking poles, and took my time. And you know, once you get down you know, that, that steepest face of it, you know, it's kind of easy going from there and mm-hmm. kind of ridge over and take the ridge down. But, uh, uh, which ridge, the ridge, um, the timbered one, like, uh, if you're standing at the top, looking back down to the truck, the one to the right there, or did you go down the one to the left? Yeah. I went down the one on the right hand okay. side of the south side. How'd there. you get up in there? Did you come up that, that ridge to the right or the way that me, you and that me and you went up in there? Yeah. I took the same way in the, the, a, you know the opposite okay. ridge from it yep you see any deer on that side um you know i didn't i uh i started hiking about one o'clock in the day and just wanted to get up and over that thing so i you know i uh made a pretty hard push up that ridge and just covering some country didn't jump any and you know i uh didn't really put any time in a glass on that side i just really had you know, uh, a goal to get over onto the other side and get my camp set before dark and all that stuff. You gotcha. Know, got up towards the top and had some storms rolling in and uh, kind of had to hunker down for a little bit and waited out and didn't know if I was going to have to camp high or end up getting a pushover, but I was able to push over and get to the camp. Nice. Well, yeah, congratulations on an awesome buck. And, um, yeah, your new job and the move. Hope everything goes good. We'll keep in touch. I'm sure we'll be hunting blacktails over there before too long. And, yeah, um, yeah then hopefully we're able to hook up and go do this coos hunt. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I think we'll get it done. All right. Well, thanks a bunch, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. 
All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, really fun sitting down with my buddy Coulter, talking over coos deer. Just gets me really excited. I'm a couple weeks away from heading down in there and and uh, chasing some coos bucks. Uh, gosh, it's going to be fun. So really looking forward to it. Hope you guys uh, uh, get to go on a coos adventure or plan one for one of these future years. It's a great time and, and just a great late season place that you can go and go chase some critters around with your bow and arrow. It's it's all about improving and getting better. And, and uh, that sure improves my skills, uh, improves my glassing skills, my stalking skills. And again, just puts a smile on my face. I'm in a, a different place on planet Earth uh, chasing critters around with my bow. It doesn't get any better than that. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to heading over to the Eastman's office, getting some podcasts recorded with those guys. Uh, I've had a couple good podcasts that I've recorded here in the last week or so. So excited to get those out to you guys and and just keep working away. It's a, it's a slow growth with this thing, improving at the podcast, but uh, I'm really proud of the product we're putting out and the information we're putting out and, and uh, the community that we built. Um, I always thank you guys for the support, but uh, you guys are great. Uh, I really appreciate it with the podcast. Um, it, it, we're just building this, this, this really neat, uh, family, uh, uh, of hardcore hunters that support each other and positive And, um, it, it's just a, a really cool deal for me. Um, so want to thank uh, Sportsman's Warehouse for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, again, Sportsman's just staffs the right people. They have quality brands in there. You can actually go in there and touch and feel their products there. They have that huge ammo sale that's going on till Christmas or the end of the year. I don't have the dates right in front of me, but uh, make sure you take advantage of that if you're in the market for some new ammo. And, and thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. And... Uh, with that, man, oh man, um, gosh, I got that new bow set up. I'm shooting that new Matthews Triax. Um, what a bow. That thing is a shooter, and man, is it quiet, shooting some really good groups. So it's now totally 100% set up, uh, shot range with it. Um, I mean, the, the the thing is just behaving. It is uh, shooting really good. So that's what I'm going to take for coos deer. I'm um, really excited about it. Just got to keep working with it and building confidence with it, but uh, that thing is a shooter. Uh, in fact, I think I'll go out st- upstairs and, and uh, fire a couple arrows here um, right now after I get done loosening this podcast. So really excited about that. They're putting out a great product. Um, running like a madman. Uh, the runs have been great. I got my new dog, my new lab, and he's just he's just come into his own where he's he's really listening well and he's got his basics down. He just makes for a great uh, running partner. He he's always game to go, never gets tired. Um, so it's been really cool running around with him this winter and and uh, having fun. Um, so yeah, just just enjoying that and just enjoying life to the fullest. Um, doesn't get any better. It's starting to study up and try to get a game plan for 2018. Got some giant hunts in the, in the works and in the planning phase and just trying to make it all come together and, and, uh, should, should be the, the best year ever. Um, I, I know that's what I'm planning for anyways and training for, and I, I just want to harvest some of those next level deer. I, I've got thoughts of changing my elk spot. You know, I, it, it produces a six year after year, but God, I just want to chase some of those giants, you know, and I, I do see big bulls in my units, but I'm not getting as much opportunity after them as I, as I'd like, and just want to create more. And I'm not sure if that's expanding the spots I already have, or if it's just starting in some new units and trying to figure it out. There's so many units, just even in the state of Montana and so many units in the country, uh, found a really good elk hunt spot in Idaho this year where I saw a giant bull down there. So you know, I, I may play that early too and, and try to fit in Idaho elk as well. 
So I don't know. I'm still playing with everything, but just a fun time of the year where you're thinking about these adventures you're going to go on and you're working hard and you're training and, and uh, it's, it's just uh, life is good. So um, that's the episode, guys. Uh, I'll catch up with you next week. Uh, thanks as always for the support. I appreciate it.